Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three. And we're going to start reading in verse number eleven in just a moment. It's taken us a while to get to the last few verses of Second Peter. I started this back in the summer. I'm wishing for summer again, but <laughs> after all the cold snap we had, but we're almost to the end. We won't finish it off this evening, but we're pretty close. And I hope you've been encouraged by it, the series. I know I have been as I've been studying through it. Encouragement to me. And Second uh, Peter chapter number 3, and we're going to start in verse number 11. Second Peter chapter 3 and starting in verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons... Ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, Lord, help us. Help us this evening to be diligent, to do what is right, to know Your Word, to follow Your plan for our lives. Lord, thank You for these folks here this evening. I pray, Lord, that your word would encourage them, convict them. Whatever the word needs to do in our hearts this evening, Lord, I pray that we would allow it to do that. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. As I was uh, studying out the sermon this week, uh, I came across a statement that I thought was really poignant and very important. Now, the purpose of prophetic truth is not speculation, but motivation. So the prophecies that we see should be spurring us on to serve Jesus Christ, not stopping us and speculating. Now, we need to be serving Jesus, amen? We need to be going forward. It's not time to stop and not do anything. Now is the time to move forward and serve the Lord, especially with a new year upon us. It's great to get in that mindset, I'm going to serve. Don't get caught in a speculation. Get caught up in serving and motivated to serve Jesus and serve the church and serve those around us. Be diligent is found in the verses that we just looked at. Uh, in verse number 14, be diligent. Diligent. Not a word that you hear a lot today. I mean, we do hear it. The word means make effort. Be prompt. Uh, endeavor. Labor. Study. So maybe that's one reason we don't hear it too much. These involves work. Right? It involves us working. It's not always easy, but it's something we need to be, to be diligent for Jesus Christ. And the admonition uh, to be diligent is found in other places in the, the book that Peter wrote as well. In Second Peter 1, uh, he gives us giving all diligence add to your faith. 
Give diligence to make your calling election sure, Second Peter 1.10. Moreover, I will endeavor, same idea, be diligent that ye may be able. If we're going to be Christians that the Lord would want us to be, if we're going to be successful in our Christian ministry, we need to be diligent. We need that discipline in our lives. And Peter gives us three admonitions as he closes off uh, this book. We're going to look at one thoroughly and just touch on the next. And the next time we'll close off. Uh, but the first one is, be diligent in living godly lives. Be diligent in living godly lives. The key word in the verses from verse 11 to 14 is look. It means to wait eagerly. To be expectant. I can remember when uh, I applied to go to Faithway Baptist College, I was looking in the mail frequently expecting a letter, hoping it would say, we accept you, not saying, no, don't come. Okay? And I remember the day I rode up my bike up the hill to the, uh, where the, we had the green boxes and I opened it up and there was a letter. And I wouldn't open it by the box. I put it in my pocket and I rode back home and, uh, oh, you know, kind of walked back and forth in the kitchen and my mom's like, what are you doing? I have a letter and she's like, open it! And I open it up and they said, yes! Woo! Excited. And not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, if you had any kids, small and big kids, they were looking expectantly underneath the tree. You know what I'm talking about. They were longing for what was underneath that tree. They, they were, you know, the, the eyes were big as saucers. They were just fixated on that and, uh, woo! I'm thankful for my kids. They don't get up super early, but I know some of yours do, and you're up at five or six o'clock in the morning tearing paper open. Exciting! Woohoo! Looking forward. So should we. Be looking to Jesus. Waiting with anticipation eagerly. Uh, in, in Luke 3.15, it was concerning John the Baptist, and as the people were in expectation... And all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. They were looking expectantly. They were eagerly sizing the situation up. And another spot in Acts chapter 3 verse 5 concerning a lame man that was on the steps of the temple. He gave heed unto them. So he's looking unto them, expecting to receive something of them. I'm sure you've been in that situation too when you have something to give and someone's expecting, looking for it. It describes an attitude of excitement and expectation as we wait for the Lord's return. I don't know about you, but that should be something that should excite our hearts. To know that the Lord is returning. He's coming again. And it should excite us and it should be a realization there's much work to be done. There's labor to be fulfilled. And though the elements of this world will be dissolved and all those things will happen, we can fix our hope not on this world, but on Jesus. We can look to Him. Now, because we don't know the day or the hour of the Lord's return, we must constantly be ready. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be careful. Now, we've been going through the apostates through this series and those who would turn us from the truth and, and, and cause us to error. And we need to be careful in our own hearts that we don't allow our heart to develop a cold, coldness 
to the Lord's return or to the Lord's plan for our life. We can, we can become unfaithful and we can have a very callous attitude towards it and have a worldly attitude. It's like, who cares? I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to go down that pathway, we'll end up like the scoffers laughing at the promise of Christ's coming. Oh, we might not physically laugh in the sense of, you know, we're sitting around a table, but we can live our life not concerned about Jesus' return. Scoffing at what the Lord has promised. We need to be careful. This expended attitude uh, ought to make a difference in our personal contact and con- uh, conduct. Sorry, in, in 2 Peter 3.11. Uh, it says, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? The word manner literally means exotic, out of this world, foreign. Because we have escaped the corruption uh, that is in this world. Second Peter 1.4 We must live differently than the people in the world. Amen? We're not much of Christians if we can't be, told, we can't be seen different as the world around us. We need to be different. We ought to behave ourselves like foreigners. Easily picked out. Well, not too long ago, well, actually it was four years ago this month, uh, I was in Romania and in Holland. And man, people in Romania had no problem picking me out as a foreigner. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, you know one thing gave them away real quick? Is when I went to the restaurant and I wanted ice. And they're like, what? Ice? What? They don't serve ice over there like they do around here. Uh, it took me a long time to get over that, to be quite honest. Why don't you have ice? I want a cold drink, not warm. That 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 uh, lukewarm water, ugh, it's served everywhere over there. And I didn't like it. I showed myself as a foreigner pretty quick. And I remember when I uh, flew into Amsterdam, uh, Schiphol, I believe is how they call the airport there. And uh, it didn't take long in line for them to figure out that I was not from Holland. Not that I was yelling and screaming or doing anything appropriate. It was just... Uh, you know, I was different. Uh, why? Why am I a foreigner? Because I'm not of that place. And we're foreigners on this earth because we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. We're headed home. Headed for a better world. Amen? A better world. The eternal city of God. I believe the Bible teaches us that Christians should be different. Okay? We need to be different. We don't have to be so different to be odd, though. Okay? We don't have to, we don't have to strive to be odd. We need to strive to be different. You know, the music that I listen to is different than the world's. The way I speak is different than how the world speaks. The way I act is different than the way, the way the world acts. And you know when we're different? You know what I found? It attracts people. They ask questions. Have you ever noticed that? I'm pretty sure in your own life, as you've been living your life for Jesus Christ, people are like, why do you do that? That's different. You know, and you get an opportunity then to tell them of Jesus and relay to them. I think I relayed the story to you before, but when my brother was in the hospital, uh, in the intensive care unit, and uh, our family would pray together there, and, and you would read scripture together, and I would read a lot of the scripture there, and, you know, I would, you know, it was a very trying time, very difficult time, and I remember towards the end, when my brother was just about ready to come out of the intensive care unit, you know, the lady that was there at the same time her husband was in a bad car accident, he was in there as well. And she came up to me as I was walking out of the hospital. She walked up to me and she goes, why do you have peace? 
You're different than me. Well, talk about a wide open door. To tell them, tell that lady about Jesus and tell her why I had peace and so forth and so on. Now, I was different than her and I was able then to show her the truth of Jesus and the gospel. Now, we ought not to be odd. We ought to be different. You know, and showing people the difference in Jesus Christ. Our conduct should be categorized by holiness and godliness. Look over at 1 Peter. We're not that far away. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Just a few pages back. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And verse number 15. 1 Peter 1 verse number 15. But as He which hath called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, that conversation is just not talk. It's the way you live. The way you interact. The, the way you conduct yourself. Uh, and the word holy means to be separate. To, to cut off. And Israel was to be a holy nation because God had called the Jews out from the Gentiles and He kept them separate. And as Christians, we're called out of a godless world and we're supposed to be called to godliness. To show those around us that we're different. And the difference is Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the difference. He's the change maker. He's the one that changes everything. It's not that I have some self-help thing that helps me be better than someone else. No, it's Jesus. He's the difference. And that's who we are called out to follow. The word godliness could be translated as well as piety. It's, a, it's mentioned in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It describes a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I wonder, and convicted my own heart, am I devoting myself to please God? It's possible. I've seen people who are separate from sin. They, they know that sin, they shouldn't do it, but man, they don't show much happiness in that position. They're, they seem to be totally despondent. They, 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 they have no joy in their heart, but they're not sinning. That's not really attractive to people who want to become a Christian. You know, and it's not all about us attracting people, but we need to be showing the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. We need, there's, isn't there joy in Jesus? Absolutely there is. And we need to be showing that. And, and no, no joy in living for God personally. Yeah, I won't sin, but there's no joy evident in your life. You know, in the Greek word, that word godliness, and this is the Greek word, this is not in the Bible terminology, but in the Greek world, that word godliness means respect and awe for the gods and the world they made. That's what they looked at. Shouldn't we be respecting and awe of the God who made all the worlds? We certainly should be. The one and true and living God, we need to be in awe and respect and have a reverence towards Him. And we must be looking for Him to increase in our life and us decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. He must increase, but I must decrease. Allow Him to get place and traction in your life and go forward with Him. Look over in Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. In the New Testament, writers uh, taught with eager anticipation of the Lord's return. 
And that ought to motivate us to live the life that the Lord would want us to live, a pure life, a life that wants to serve Jesus Christ, a life that's honoring to Him. So uh, Titus chapter number 2, and we're going to start down in verse number 11. Titus 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority that no man despise thee. We, we should have just not a knowledge of Christ's return. We know it, right? We just we read it here and other places. The Lord's going to return. But that should have a direct impart, an impact in our heart. Now, sometimes, I know that if I drank Pepsi all the time, it would have an impact on my physical heart, right? My physical well-being. But sometimes I don't allow that information to make it to my conscience. I just do it anyway. The reality is, as Christians, we need to take this truth that we know and allow it to penetrate our heart and allow us then to serve the Lord as we should. Head knowledge is head knowledge. Make it, move it from here to here. And it'll change how you live and how you desire to want to live and, and, and have a heart for others. Henceforth, in, in 2 Timothy 4, 8 it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all those that love His appearing. You know what I've found over the time in ministry and life is those individuals, those Christians who love the Lord and have that knowledge of the Lord's return and have a love for Him in His heart, they are looking for His returning. And what I found out, Christians who are not living the way they should, they don't want to think about the Lord's returning. Maybe they're, they're kind of like what they're into at the moment. And even though it's not what the Lord would have for them, my, my friend, get back to the Lord. Get back in position with Him. Get back to where you need to be. You know He's coming. Serve Him. Do you think what you're doing now, and I don't know exactly what you might be doing right now, but it's away from the Lord. Is that going to matter for eternity? Not a chance. Not a chance. You need to be serving Jesus. We need to be serving Him. And not only should this expended attitude make a difference in our conduct, it should make a difference in our witness. How we talk to others. And the word hasting has a sense of earnestly desiring. Back to Second Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 12. Looking for and hastening on to and coming to the day of the Lord when the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwell righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found with Him in peace, without spot and blameless. You know, the earnest expectation, hasting, encourage me along. As Christians, we should be looking forward and desiring the Lord's return. Now, over time, I've seen two extremes in ministry in return in regard in regard to this, and we need to be careful that we don't get involved with the extremes. 
And there are definitely extreme viewpoints. One attitude is that we're locked in to God's sovereign will plan, so there's nothing that we can do to make a difference. Or on the other side of it is that God can't get anything done unless we do it. And both are wrong. They're not the right viewpoints. God's sovereign decrees must never be excused for laziness for us. So God's just going to do it so we won't do anything. And I'm going to be honest right now, next week, I'm going to be encouraging you. I'm going to be motivating you to reach our community for Jesus Christ. Amen. You're going to hear it from this pulpit and it's going to be preached as we go forward. I've been preaching about it already. We just don't sit back and wait people to come to us. We go get the people. They need to hear about Jesus. Has he not changed you in your life? Has he not made your life new? I hope you can say, yes, he has. And they need to hear. It's not, it's not an excuse. It's not a, 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 a pass to just sit back. No. If anything, it's a commission. It's a piece of paper, a commission for us to go and to tell others about Jesus and, and, and try to do a, make our ministries in ways that they would be reaching folks and encouraging folks and, and just propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And neither is our plans and our activities above the Word of God. We need to follow biblical principles, amen, as we serve and minister. There's two uh, things in the two stories in the Old Testament I think will help us understand the relation of God's plan and, and our service. Can you remember the children of Israel when they left Egypt? You know, uh, they were a complaining bunch, weren't they? They, they liked to gripe and complain about a lot of things. They, had, they were heading to their inheritance. They were going through the wilderness. And they got to Kaish Barnea. And except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, they rebelled against God and refused to enter the land. Did God force them to go in? Did He drag them in by their hair and throw them in? Nope. He did not. He had them wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years while that older generation died off. He adjusted His plan to their response. And then He brought them in. Didn't he not? And the Lord used them in mighty ways. I think about Jonah. You know, he fled, right? He was told to go preach in Nineveh. He didn't want nothing to do with that, so he fled. He went the other direction. Got in a really bad storm, got swallowed by a fish, and ended up back in Nineveh. Okay? And he gets there, and his message is to, you know, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown! Overthrown! 40 days! It was God's plan to destroy this wicked city. Jonah brought the message. He preached the message. And when the people heard the message, they repented. They realized their sin. And starting from the king and right through the whole city, right on down, they repented. And God adjusted His plan and He spared the city. Neither God nor His principles changed but his application of those principles changed. God responds when men repent. Aren't you glad for that? When men repent, God responds. He doesn't say, no, I will not have anything to do with you. No, Nineveh, you will be destroyed. No, he saw in their hearts repentance and he moved and he loved them. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. I believe with all my heart that God responds to people today, men and women, who will repent as well. I don't have any doubt about that. And I'm so thankful the Lord hears my cry. 
When I ask for forgiveness, when I repent of something, He's there and He's listening. You know, my desire for our church, our church, is to move forward for Jesus Christ. Not, not sitting on our past victories. Praise the Lord for them. Amen? That someone got saved and a family serving Jesus and, and, and people are joining our church. That's wonderful. But we don't stay there. We move forward. We move forward. And, and I don't want to be uh, stuck in the wilderness like the children of Israel were. They didn't like God's plan. They're like, now we're, we no, no. No. We need to follow God's plan. We need to listen to it and apply it to our hearts. Sadly, there's many churches today in the wilderness because they refuse to follow God's plan. You know, you hear all kinds of crazy, wild things and you're like, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because you don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, another crazy activity that many apostates are involved with and churches and church leaders is involved with this making dates for the Lord's return. They make such a spectacle of it. You know, and the media gets a hold of it and they, they come with their cameras and listen, they come with a mocking spirit. They care, could care less about what a church is teaching or preaching. And sadly, many of them are off in this teaching anyway, because we do not know when the Lord will return. Only the Lord, only the Father knows. I, I read this uh, statement this week, and boy, I think I might write it on a few uh, pieces of paper just to help me get motivated. Our task is not to speculate, but to serve. We're not to speculate. That's not my task. To speculate. It's to serve. To help others. To show others of the, of the love of God. I mean, yes, I know there's things in God's Word that I can sit down and ponder for ages and, and look through the prophecies and be encouraged. But that's not going to stop us from serving Jesus Christ. It's not a method to say, oh no, I'll just read this. No, we need to serve. We, we don't, don't let it stop you. Let it be a motivation that you'll do more. Jesus is coming. I need to do more. Or I, I might need to do what I'm doing even better. Maybe I can't take more on, but I'll do better in what I'm doing. Don't you think the Savior will be glorified with that kind of attitude? I know He will be. And He appreciates His children having that attitude. The expected attitude will make a difference when we meet Jesus Christ. If we're diligent to watch for His return, and we're trying our best to live a godly life. We're, we're living a different life in this world. We're being a testimony for Him. and We're showing others the way of the, the cross, the way of the Gospel. Then we will not be afraid or ashamed when He returns, will we? Have, have you ever been in this situation? I can remember one time. I had done something. I can't even remember what I did. It was bad though. As a kid. I mean, I guess I was about 10, 11 years old. And... Uh, you know, when everything is good with you and your dad, growing up, for me, when dad came home, it was a big deal. Hey, dad, you're home. Woo, dad. How was work? Tell me what happened today, dad. And my dad used to build wharfs and use all kinds of heavy equipment. So it was kind of cool as a little guy. Like, what is that all about, dad? Can you, can I get in the truck and drive it, dad? You know, th those kind of things. And so when everything was good, man, I was excited about seeing dad. But when things were bad, I wasn't next to the door waiting for Dad to come through the door. 
You know, the idea of shame was there. I can remember this one time, you know, my dad, it was in the winter time. Well, it snows in Newfoundland most of the time anyway, so maybe it was spring, I don't know. But he came into the driveway and he was plowing snow. And listen, when you live in the basement right next to the driveway, you know when dad's home with the plow. And as I was having a bad day, it just got worse. I got to talk to dad. It's not going to go well. Whatever it did. I can't even remember what I did. And I remember staying in the basement. I'm not coming out. Mark! Yes, Dad. We need to talk. I was ashamed when he returned because I had done what was wrong. I was not without blame. Shouldn't we as Christians be looking to have that blameless spirit? I'm, I'm, I'm spotted. I don't have, I'm, I'm good, Lord. I'm trying my best to serve you. I'm waiting for your return. Such a vast difference than me in the illustration of sitting in the basement waiting for dad to come home. Now looking with great anticipation. Uh, Peter was telling us to be careful to follow the example of the Lord, be without blemish, without spot. He's warning his readers against the defilement of the apostates bring. They had spots and blemish. Peter had gone through this whole book encouraging us to stay away from the apostates. Know the truth. Once you know the truth, you can call out the apostates. Don't be involved with their blemishes. Don't be involved with their horrible feasts. Make sure that you're doing what's right. So when you meet the Lord, you're wearing those pure garments. You're right with the Lord. And you're desiring to serve Him. You know, I don't watch the news much anymore because I get pretty discouraged. Our world's pretty crazy. A lot of bad stuff happening. But the promise of His coming should be a great encouragement to us, like a, a beacon in a dark time, knowing that the Lord is coming. It should encourage us and say, yes, I can serve. The day star is about to approach. He's, he's almost here. I need to serve. If anything, this is a time to throw off, Christian, the things that might be holding you back. Maybe something of the world. Maybe maybe some lust of the world. Maybe there's something in your own heart. You're not. Yeah, that spiritual walk is not what it needs to be. Throw it. Throw those things off. Now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to serve the Lord. He is soon to be here. His appearing is very soon. Be diligent. To win the lost. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which were some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do with also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. We need to be diligent to win the lost. We know the Lord's coming. Amen. We know it. We know He's coming. His Word tells us He's soon to be coming. We don't know when it is. So he's nigh to the door. You know, He's close at hand. That should be an encouragement us to win the lost. To be busy about it. To endeavor to reach. Well, 
Uh, it's been amazing to me just this past Christmas season. The Lord has opened some doors that I, I never even thought were possible to reach even some family members for Jesus. And it's been fantastic. And now I need to seize the opportunities. It's not like, well, I'll put that off for another. No, I need to take the day now and reach them. And be diligent in it. You know, and, and send reminders and, and say, hey, we, you need the Lord. Hey, I'm pretty sure you know a whole lot of people this afternoon, this evening, that need Jesus. You do. So what's stopping you from telling them? What's stopping for you to try to, uh, to reach them a little bit different? Maybe uh, bring them a piece of pie and say, hey, I, I want to let you know I love you. Whatever the case is. You know, I sit back and I think about it. I'm so glad that someone was diligent to win me. Think about that. Someone spent time. They invested maybe money, definitely time. And they prayed for you to get saved. Now it's our turn to be praying and investing in other people. See them get saved. There's a whole host. There's a whole city. There's millions of people who need to know about Jesus Christ. And we can be the beacon. Flashing in the night, in the darkness in this world, Jesus. You need Jesus. He's hope. He's mercy. He's salvation. He's grace. There's so many things. Let us be that beacon today. Let that realization of being diligent, the Lord is coming to help us to win the lost. It's time to be counted for Christ. Don't, don't put it off for another day. Don't, don't say, oh, I'll do that next week. No, do it today. Make a determination in your heart and mind, in your soul, that you will serve Jesus. There's so much to be done. It's time to get off the bleachers. Time to get off the bleachers and get in the battle. Get in the battle. Get in the trenches. Encourage the next soldier next to you to serve the Lord. Hey, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. Yes, yes, yes. But there's still a host to be reached and there's still a Savior to serve. Let's be diligent in serving Jesus.